Good morning, everybody. Uh, like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am delighted, delighted to be here with you this Sunday morning. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us for the very first time. I'm so glad that you're here. We know that you have plenty other options. You've passed dozens of churches, perhaps, on your way here, so it's not lost on us that you made a, a willful choice to be here. And so we thank you and we honor your presence today. We also want to honor those who are watching us via our live stream or maybe you're watching us later on demand. It's always great to have you uh, engaging with us uh, via the live stream. Um, I want to just give a shout out to our students because every other Sunday our students are in service with us. And as you came in and as you participated in worship, you probably noticed that there's students serving all over the building today. They're in kids' church, they're serving back in the tech booth, and they were just uh, led us powerfully in worship. So can we give it up for our students? As I was uh, on my way coming up here, uh, Sister Hackworth back there says, make sure you acknowledge that that was some powerful worship this morning, and uh, nearly half the team this morning were our students. So one more time for the worship team this morning. as they always do a really good job of setting, the, setting a good atmosphere uh, for the word to go forth and for other ministry to happen here. We're at day 25 uh, of our 30-day fast, and some of you still are like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that, that fast is going on. And others of you are like, yeah, you're getting all sorts of spiritual enrichment, and you're, you're, you're turning down some of the lesser noises in your life and turning up the voice of God, if you will, and that's really cool. We've got just a few more days, and we're entering Holy Week, which is a really precious thing. And we've never, by the way, our fast is never situated in the Lenten season, so this is a first. And so I'm looking for the powerful ways that us leaning into this corporate fast as we enter Holy Week is going to be an excellent uh, experience. I also want to begin by also saying thank you to those of you who have begun to give to the four-year expansion project. Listen, we haven't even begun the formal campaign yet. And folks are still uh, giving to the building fund and saying, hey, Pastor, let us know so that we can participate in what God is doing. And so I want to say thank you and know that we're working diligently with our potential builders as well as our bank and our architect. And so more information will come uh, as we get it. So stay tuned for that. And thank you for those who are giving. I also want to pause today because this was a bit of a sad week. Um, now many of you, if you've been watching the news earlier this week, you know that... Um, a shooter, we won't say that person's name, entered uh, a school and um, uh, took the lives of six innocent souls. Um, she made her way into the school by force and seemed to indiscriminately take the lives of six, I'm sorry, three adults, uh, all in their 60s, and uh, tragically, the lives of three young children, um, I believe they were all nine years old. And so your heart just stops when you behold this type of evil and this type of violence. And so it, it's our custom to pause from time to time to acknowledge these things. Suffice to say that if we were to pause at every tragedy, we'd be saying something like this every single week because something's happening every week. But there are some incidences and some events that cross a certain threshold. They meet certain qualifications that it'd be a bit insensitive for us to not pause and mention it. 
I'll confess that this one hit me especially hard for a number of reasons. Later that evening, as the news broke, we found out that one of the young girls that was, uh, her life was taken was the young daughter of the senior pastor of the church in which that school was connected. And the fact that this is a Christian school connected to a Christian church just made this thing seem less like an over there issue and more like a right here issue. And so as I thought about how I might respond or, 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 or respond to this tragedy, I, I suppose I could spend some time and rail against those who refuse to do something, lawmakers who refuse to do something. I can rail against the evils of those AR-15 style rifles. I suppose I could do any number of things, but it feels most appropriate this morning to follow the scripture's advice and to just mourn with those who mourn. And to sit in sadness with those who are sitting in silence. The scriptures tell us that there is a unique blessedness for those who mourn. The scriptures imply that you can't even be comforted unless you enter into that mourning. And so this morning, I want to pause and just do just that, to mourn with those who mourn. There's at least six families whose lives will never be the same. Everybody wrapped up in that trauma will never forget this day. Their lives will never be the same. I'm especially grateful for those who go rushing toward the danger when everybody else is running away from it. And so I had the privilege of reaching out to some of our law enforcement officers this week just to thank them for their service and the danger that they walk into. And so there's a whole lot of things we can hold in this moment, but I just want to take a brief moment to pray. And so every eye closed and every head bowed as I pray, Lord, we thank you for the unique comfort that comes in moments like this. We thank you, Lord, that you don't rush us past grief and that you allow us to sit in this and sit with those who are grieving and who are mourning. We're thankful for that internal thing that you gave us, that's something that instantly says, this isn't right, this is darkness. And so, Father, we know that one day you'll come and you'll make all things new and you'll make everything right. But as we live in the tension of the already and the not yet, we ask that you would come. Push back the kingdom of darkness. Surround those families. And may the churches in, the, in those communities, especially the vineyard church there, Lord, I just pray for a special grace that they might tend to the souls of those broken ones. We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. I have the privilege this morning of continuing a teaching series that I'm simply calling Good Fights. We've been in this teaching series for a couple of weeks now, and we've simply called it Good Fights, and I feel like I need to say, particularly for those who are engaging the series for the first time, that I'm not talking about an entertaining fight. You ever watch a fight and say, that was a good fight? This isn't necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about good fights, noble fights, worthwhile conflicts that we engage, the sort of engagement that God would be pleased with. I'm talking about good fights. We've been leaning on Paul's words to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, and we've minimally concluded that if there is a good fight, there are also what? There are bad fights, fights that don't rise to the level of being worth our time and our energy and our effort. 
And I've urged us, as the scripture has, to spend our time and energy trying to figure out which of life's fights are the good ones and which ones are the bad ones. Luckily for us, the scripture is full of wisdom, instruction, and stories that will help guide us and help us figure out which is which. What are the good fights and what simply is the knucklehead stuff? And so far, we've been bouncing around the scriptures in search of good fights. We began in 1 Samuel chapter 17 with the story of David and Goliath. We continued on Baptism Sunday in Luke chapter 9. Uh, as we urged you, as the scripture does, to fight against the flesh, to war against the flesh. That's the most consequential fight of your life. And last week, we looked at a ruckus in the temple where Jesus engaged in yet another good fight as he ran off the money changers and the exploiters who were doing business in God's house. And we've talked about the spiritual life, but we've also began to explore how this shows up and plays out in our interpersonal lives with the other humans. Surely there is wisdom to be gained and gleaned from the scripture regarding how we might select good fights as we engage with other people, how we might engage in those good fights and maintain our composure and not dent our reputation as we gain in only the good fights, the inevitable fights that will come as we engage in life with the other humans. And today we'll look, uh, further, take a further look at the challenge of disagreement as we look at a short passage of scripture and we get what I might call a mini master class, if you will, on how to engage in a good fight with another person and how we shouldn't be afraid of conflict because conflict is a part of life. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 15. And so would you meet me there in your Bibles? Acts chapter 15, please know that there are Bibles on the edges of your row. Feel free to engage with us and follow along with us in your paper Bible. If you don't have a Bible, this morning, you'd like to use one. There are Bibles on the edges of your row. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that Bible uh, as a gift from us to you. You can also engage with the text through your mobile device, and it will also be displayed on the screens. I'll be in Acts chapter 15 in a message that I'm simply calling Fight and Flight. Fight and Flight. While you find that text in Acts chapter 15, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for yet another opportunity to worship we thank you, Father, for another opportunity to be taught by you in the company of your spirit and the company of other saints. Father, I pray that you would put power on these words you've given me to speak. Lord, I'm smart enough to know that you know what we're dealing with. And there are folks in here who will engage this as general wisdom that they will tuck into their shirt pocket and pull out when the rainy day comes. And yet there are others here today who, who precisely need this word for this particular moment in their life. Father, you are all wise. You know who, who we are, where we are. And I pray that our hearts today would be soft landing places for your instruction today. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Acts chapter 15, I'm going to start at verse 36. It reads this way. After some time, Paul, the apostle Paul, said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them 
and Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and, and he, as he left, and the believers entrusted uh, him to the, to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicae, strengthening the churches there. Now, this is a short text, but it's a powerful text. If you're just sort of reading through Acts, you might just skim through this and keep rolling. But something about the subject surrounding this series made me want to slow down at the end of uh, Acts 15 because there's something here for us as we try to figure out what's a good fight and once we engage a good fight, how to keep it a good fight. There's not a lot of details in this story, but there's enough detail to give us some solid landings where in which we might explore what the scriptures want to teach us today. Two characters in this story, Paul and his ministry companion, a man named Barnabas. Now, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, persecutor of those uh, who were Christians. Paul, who, who encountered Jesus in a confrontation on that Damascus road and was converted. God flipped him and sent him out to share the gospel and to change the world. And I'm not exaggerating when I say Paul was used to change the world because he went all over preaching the gospel, establishing churches, doing the work of the ministry. And we also meet a man named Barnabas. That's an interesting name. Now, Barnabas, his nickname was Son of Encouragement. And this gives us a little bit of insight as to who Barnabas was, what his personality was, what his sort of lean was. And together, they made a great ministry team. Now, we encounter these men after their first missionary journey, having preached the gospel and planted churches and established leaders in places like Cyprus and Galatia. Paul had an idea, and he expresses that idea in verse 36. He says, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached to see how the new believers are doing. That's a great idea. But Paul's introduction of this idea brings about what I would call a defining moment. A defining moment in his relationship with Barnabas. A defining moment. These are distinct moments in life, particularly in our interpersonal life with other people. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's some other loved one. Maybe it's in your professional or vocational career. Maybe it's a classmate or a teacher or in your friendship circles. These defining moments happen often unless you're living in a cave someplace, right? And it doesn't seem to matter what realm of relationship you're operating in, but as long as there's more than one human involved, we will have these what? Defining moments. As long as there's at one other person in your midst, there's gonna be some friction. There's gonna be some issues. There are going to be things that need to be worked out. How we show up in these moments are vitally important because almost everybody can get along when everything's going right. I'll say that to this side because this side is a little sleepy. Almost everybody can get along when everything's going right. But it was Dr. King who said, the measure of a man or woman is not where he or she stands during moments of comfort and convenience, but rather 
Or that person stands at times of great challenge and controversy. I have that quote burned into my mind. It was a, a picture my dad had of Dr. King on our wall with that quote beneath it. So every time I came out of my room, I saw those words. The real measure of who you are and what your values are rests not in the good times. But it lies in those moments where we have these defining moments where there are issues. And many of us will fail this test of these defining moments because our emotions get the best of us, right? Others of us are governed by fear, fear of what we might lose, fear of engaging in conflict, fear of an unpleasant outcome, and it might cause us to retreat from something we're supposed to lean into, or it might cause us to lean into something heavily when we're supposed to pull away. Most of us don't pass this test. But those who handle these moments well, and you know who you are, and you know who you aren't, those who handle these moments well are usually principled, like Jesus last, last week. Those who handle these moments well are grounded and governed minimally by the charge to love God and love people. Because loving God and loving others will dictate, determine how we show up in these defining moments. Those of us who handle these moments well are also have a firm understanding of the importance of time and seasons. Understanding that there is a time and a place for everything the scripture tells us under the sun. Which means there's some time where you will be with certain people and there might be times or you might have to say goodbye. There are times of peace, but there are times of conflict. You see what I'm saying? And I've found it true that the people who respond to these defining moments well have a firm grasp of the love God, love people, and they have an appreciation for time, and not just seasons, but time and changing, changing seasons. Paul says, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are going along. Barnabas agreed, but he wanted to take John Mark. Everything was fine. Then this defining moment occurs. And there are at least three things that hop out. There are more, but three things that hop out as a result of this defining moment. And I want to jog through them quickly this morning. The first thing that hop out, hops out is there is a disagreement. There is a disagreement. There is conflict. And this is the fight part. But it's the good kind, I believe. Barnabas agreed to Paul's suggestion and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. There's not a whole lot of detail in this text, but there's enough to let us know why Paul says no. Barnabas gets excited about the idea. He says, oh, yes, I like those places. I wondered how those churches were doing. Paul, let's go. He said, let's go. He said, let's bring, let's, let's bring, let's bring John Mark, though. And I can hear, like, you ever on TV in the record scratches, like, you know. Paul says, no. And we learned that, also learned that John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. 
So Barnabas has some affection for, for, for John Mark, and maybe he's willing to overlook some of the things that Paul has issues with, but Paul says, no, this brother deserted us before. And maybe Barnabas is the son of encouragement. Maybe he's the softer touch of this ministry duo. And so they have a disagreement. They have a disagreement. And we all have these, don't we? Anybody ever been wrapped up in a disagreement? Anybody in the midst of a disagreement now? I noticed the body language. You turned away from your spouse. Look, don't look at the... Look this way, don't, don't get any further trouble. Some of us embroiled in disagreements as we speak. And the reasons for these disagreements are numerous. Maybe there's a distressing event, which is its own defining moment, that brings some things to life, that churns some things up. In the course of interpersonal relationships, personalities clash. We have differing values. We're at different levels stages and lifestyles, different politics, we're from different sides of the track, so it follows that we will regularly engage in disagreements. Now, the burning question that you might have, I can see it on your faces, is, Pastor, which one of these guys is wrong? I just got to know, preacher, which one is wrong? Is it Paul? Is he being too rigid? Is he throwing his apostolic weight around? Is Barnabas being unwise? Which one of these guys is wrong because there's a disagreement? They can't both be right. Which one of these guys is wrong? And my answer to you is simple. My answer is, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So maybe you didn't hear me, preacher. Which one is wrong? Give me your answer. My answer is, uh-huh. Now, let me fill you in on this, uh-huh. I almost don't want to do it because this is kind of a little cold between my wife and I. And uh-huh rarely means yes. I'll call my wife at work. I'll be in my office. I'll get bored. I'll just call her. And I'll be talking to her. I say, oh, hey, I know there's supposed to be some big news today in the work. Did, did such and such do this? And, so, and, she, and she said, uh-huh. Now, I didn't ask a yes or no question, but this is her answer. I ask a series of questions, and it takes me a little while to figure out that she's answering this way because there are, there are other people around, and she can't speak freely. And so no matter what question I ask, she said, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm just cackling in my office like a schoolgirl because I know there's all kinds of drama and those two syllables give me at least a paragraph of information. It says to me, there are juicy details that I can't wait to tell you about. <laughs> There's all kinds of mess and all kinds of complications that I can't wait to tell you about, but I can't talk about it right now. Or minimally, she's saying to me, it's complicated. There are no easy answers. There are no cut and dry explanations. And so for you, when you press me for an answer on this matter, my answer is what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Why? Because the scriptures don't tell us. They simply don't say. And maybe this is God's cosmic way of saying to all of us, mind your business. Or, somebody agreed a little too fervently with that, 
Or it's God's way of saying, you don't need to know that in order to know what I need you to know from this text. And so you, and especially preachers like me, need not read things into the text that's not there. If the sovereign God gives us a sovereign text where things are omitted, then we will wrestle with the mystery, but we will deal minimally what, with what is there. And what I believe God needs us to know is not who is wrong here, but he needs us to know that disagreements are a part of life. Disagreements are a part of our relationships. The challenge for us is to disagree in ways that are both honoring to God and honoring to people. Let me say that again real slow. The challenge is not to avoid disagreements or to label disagreements as from the devil, but to navigate disagreements that will inevitably come in a way that honors God and honors people. And if you were to just real quick cycle through the last three disagreements, if you're like me, you probably didn't do this. And I say that not to condemn you, but to awaken you to this reality that there is a more excellent way. But it's not the easiest way. And many of us, our problem in life, in faith, especially in, interpersonally, that we, we, we will take naturally the path of least resistance, the thing that comes most naturally to us, and rarely is that the way to go. It's in our relationships, if you're like me, if your relationships are like mine, ultimately the robber meets the road when you can't see your way forward. I remember I told you this time in seasons, this is okay. And in this particular case, in this particular text, this wasn't just any old run-of-the-mill disagreement. This was a sharp disagreement between two ministry partners. But so far, I still think this is a good fight. This is still a good fight. And I need to say that because some of you, depending on how you grew up and where you grew up and who raised you, bless their souls, you've come to see disagreement as dysfunction. You've not seen people work it out. You've not seen people get angry and constructively and in a godly manner lean toward the smoke and come out with a resolution. And so you've been taught that if somebody has a critique of you or if somebody has an issue with you or if somebody disagrees with you that they're against you. And so you're ready to fight, you're ready to duke it out in an unconstructive way or you try to avoid disagreements and conflict like the plague. And I'm here to tell you that there is a more excellent way. I'm here to tell you that even though this was a sharp disagreement, it still in my mind registers as a good fight. Let's see if it stays that way because the next thing I see that happens in this text is there is a separation. We saw the fight part and now we see the flight part. 
Because they didn't choose either or. They fought and they flout. Or they left. And this is the separation. Verse 39, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. And some of you are tempted to say, aha, it's no longer a good fight. They couldn't stick it out. These men of God couldn't work it out. Why couldn't these two men of God get it together? After all, this was a ministry opportunity. Couldn't they consult the spirit of the other brethren? Get some mediation maybe to work this thing out. This is where it descends into being a bad fight. I think you're wrong. Hang on a second. Because there's usually more in a conflict than what's on the surface. I want to note that separations aren't always bad things, but let me first say that some of them are. Sometimes they are the work of the enemy. Sometimes they are the work of the evil one who've gotten in the midst of two friends or who've gotten in, in, in the midst of business partners or even in the midst of churches and ministry companions and does disruptive work. We see it all the time. And if you look in the phone book, if you can find one, and you go to churches, you will be shocked to see how many denominations of the Christian church there is. And my guess is that all started when somebody said, I don't like how they're doing that. You like how they do that? Oh, you do? Oh, you stay here. Anybody don't like that? Okay, come with me. And now we got two. And within that group, that happens again and then again and again. And, then, and now we've got 100 pages of churches. And God's still working with it. He's still redeeming it. We're here. We're a denomination. Sometimes they are the work of the enemy. And it's true that some of us are a little too quick to throw people away when they no longer seem useful to us. And when the cost of working it out seems harder than the alternative, I'll just start over with somebody else. Sometimes it is a work of the enemy, but I don't think that's what we're dealing with here. Sometimes we fail to factor in God's plans, God's changing of assignments, God's shifting of the seasons of life, God orchestrating, get this, necessary ends to certain relationships. Because some separations are good. Some separations are necessary. Some separations are, in fact, the best way forward. If you look throughout history, even recent history, there are famous fights and splits. I'll just name a few of them. Steve Jobs and John Scully from Apple in the 80s. I think that one turned out all right. Mark Zuckerberg and Eduardo Severin, Facebook. The Beatles, Jackson 5, the Fugees, Spice Girls, NSYNC, Martin and Gina, Kobe and Shaq, Jordan and Pippen, Brady and Belichick, Ren and Stimpy, Tom and Jerry, SpongeBob and Patrick. Maybe not SpongeBob and Patrick, but you get my drift. Not all separations are bad. The challenge is to separate in a way 
that both honors God and other, um, honors other people. And that is more easier said than done. I'm going to say that a couple of times. Because my, 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 my charge to you is if you measure your actions, generally speaking, through the sieve of is this honoring to God and is this honoring to the other per- person, you will move very differently than the world around you. It'll be harder than it is easier. You'll come out of these things with your reputation intact. And you won't dent the reputation of God your Father and Christ your Savior. Is anybody hearing me today? I just want to say another thing. You know, sometimes the most godly thing you can do is say goodbye to somebody. I want that to just sit in the room for a moment because in a room this size and those watching me online, there's got to be somebody. Right now, you're in the midst of something right now. You're at a fork in the road. And you're trying to hang on to something that God is trying to pry from your fingers. You're trying to hang on to somebody that you've had a good run with. That that person was just a booster for you. It was just for a season of life. And the season has shifted. You've changed. They've changed. God's assignment for you have changed. And the most godly thing you can do is to bid that person goodbye. This is true in our romantic relationships. This is true, I should, I should clarify, in, in our dating relationships. This is true for our business partnerships and our friendships. Some of you, listen to me, some of you have come to faith or you've gotten to a place where you've newly gotten serious about your faith. Why are you surprised that your new values are not compatible with folks you used to run with? That'd make them bad people. That'd make them terrible, despicable people. It's just the new you. You move different. You got a new swagger about your life. There's a new king on your throne. And so it would follow that the things that used to be fun for you and your good time buddies aren't the same amount of fun for both of you anymore. It would follow that for those of you who are new to faith or engaging in faith for the first time or, 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 or getting serious about your faith, that the business practices that you were comfortable with previously Don't pass muster anymore. You can't sleep at night. And your business partner goes, man, what's what's happened to you? You see what I'm saying? And I'll say it again. For some of us, the most godly thing we could do in these defining moments, in the face of disagreements, is a God, godly, people-honoring Separation. The people honoring separation. And they're hard because they're hard. As a younger man, I would be a bit too cavalier about ending relationships. I had a bit of self-centered indifference that I over-spiritualized and thought was a good thing. I would just, it was just easy for me to move on. It's easier for me to see that the seasons are changing. Life's different now. We're parting ways. But I'm going to tell you, as I grow older and my friends and ministry partners 
as I'm more mature and, I, and I'm less self-centered, haven't completely worked that thing out, but I'm less self-centered, I'm finding that when I have these sharp disagreements with my friends and I have to part company with somebody, it just, it hurts more. It's more complicated. And as I take that to the Lord, I believe he says to me, not in an audible voice, but in a clear one, uh, that's how it's supposed to be. If you're really friends with somebody, if you're really in fellowship and community with somebody, if you have to part ways, it, it should be hard. But that, could, that shouldn't keep us from doing what we need, what we need to do. It says that Paul and Barnabas, their disagreement was so sharp that they had to part company. I wonder if anybody's in here dealing with that sort of thing today. There's a third thing I see in this text that we also have to look at the outcome. What, was, what, what, what happened as a result of this split? doesn't give us all the details here, but the scriptures do help us understand how this sort of thing ends. And I think it's helpful and maybe even necessary for us to look at the outcomes of this because it helps us to understand that when God is running your life, even the hard stuff is purposeful. Even the hard stuff is meaningful, and the, even the hard stuff deserves to be leaned into. I say that because if God's not running your life, if you're just up to whatever, if it's, your life is just whatever the wind blows, you feel that sort of haphazardness about your life, and you don't believe that there is a God who is orchestrating uh, or at least informing the moves and the decisions and the outcomes of your life, then you're just up to whatever happens. You're left to whatever happens. But i got to remind myself that there is a sovereign God who is causing things and or minimally allowing things that the scripture tell me will eventually work out for my good and his glory. And to view my life and the changing of the seasons through that lens changes everything. It changes everything. Did you know that God has a plan for you? It's a difficult plan, but it's a plan nonetheless. Scriptures tell us that God didn't just roll the dice with my life, but he made me with intentionality. Gave me my intellect, my personality. Gave me this chocolate coat of skin. Not because there wasn't some, other, you know, there was no other skin left. Like, this is planned. Orchestrated the details of my life so that I would run into Jordan and Nikki. And I would run into this lovely lady over here and we would, we would make children together and start a church together. This isn't happenstance that you're here. There's a God on the throne somewhere who thought this out. There's a God on the throne somewhere that even my mistakes, even my failures, even when his will isn't done in my life because of my own knuckleheaded selfishness and sinfulness, God is able to, hear me, redeem that foolishness for my good and for his glory. Who else can make that boast? 
And when you see the world that way, and when you see the spiritual life that way, it doesn't make it any, uh, it doesn't make it any less hard to go through these things. But it's easier to yield your life and place it in the hands of one who is sovereign. Who is sovereign. So their disagreement, verse 39, was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas as he left the believers and trusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Silicon, strengthening the churches there. I want to let you know that there are very positive outcomes to this sharp separation. John Mark gets another chance to get it right with his cousin Barnabas. And so two ministry teams go out now instead of one. Paul meets a guy named Silas. Barnabas goes out with John Mark. And Paul continues to have deep affection for Barnabas and later hooks up with John Mark again, and they do some ministry together. And so this wasn't the disaster that we might think it is. God was in the details of all of this. Now, all separations don't have these sort of storybook endings. I don't want to misrepresent the facts here. But I love the fact that the outcome points to the fact that God was working in this situation. God didn't say, no, 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 don't separate. What am I going to do? Who's going to preach to those people over there? Guys, please. What am I going to do now? That's not his posture. That's not his disposition. God is up to something even in your life. I wonder who needed to hear this this morning. I wonder who's in the midst of something challenging and taxing. Now, can I just say real briefly, uh, don't, don't go home to your spouse today and say, well, and you know, I was paying attention to the message today, and it looks like we got we to gotta do something different here. This is not what I'm talking about, okay? Don't mishear me here. But I believe the word of the Lord for this house and for somebody here is to take another sort of godly look at what you're dealing with now and ask the Lord to help. And if you're not in the midst of an actual situation right now, I believe what we're supposed to tuck in our shirt pockets is that during these defining moments where there is conflict and there will be conflict, and during times where we might have to part company with those that we're in relationship with, that does not make it a bad fight. What makes it a bad fight is if you get outside of your godly character as you deal with that defining moment. If you get beside your spiritual self in that defining moment, that's what makes it a bad fight, not the disagreement. Not even the separation, because God can work with it. I'll say this in closing as I invite the worship team to come back. I found that the more serious I get about my faith, 
the more separations happen in my life. Can I just say that? And some of you are coursing your way through this fast. And you've made strategic decisions to turn down some of the lesser noises in your life so that you might hear God's voice more clearly. And what you've discovered is God has given you clear paths, clear instructions. He's asking you, to put it nicely, demanding that you, to put it more straightforward, go a different direction. And some of you, even as I speak, you've got people in mind that the Lord is challenging you to put some space in between them and you because of who you are and because of where you're going. And I'm super glad this morning that our students are in here because this especially applies to you. I want to just put a quarter in the meter and park here just for a second. Because your spiritual altitude, for better or worse, will depend on your circle. I'll say it again. Your spiritual altitude, for better or worse, will depend on your circle. Who you're in company with, who you're in relationship with. I sit and talk to a whole lot of people. And they tell me this huge gap between them and God. And as I ask just a few questions, it's not uncommon for me to uncover. They've got so few godly people in their life. That they've got so few godly people speaking into how they're being, uh, how they're being spiritually formed and shaped. And when I talk to people who are being transformed and being moved in the direction that God wants them to be, it's inevitably the case that they've had to part company with somebody who's not going in their direction. And so our charge and challenge today is to have these defining moments, to have the disagreements, to have the discussions, and even to part ways, but to do so in a way that honors God and honors other people. And so as we close today, we're going to invite the Lord's presence to continue to speak to us. To speak to us in a way that helps us move forward. To know that God is in the midst of our decisions and our relationships and even some of these fights that we engage in. And so we're going to sing this final song, Yahweh. As a reminder that the Lord is in the midst of whatever we're dealing with. And if we lean toward him. He'll help us win these fights. So would you stand to your feet as I pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the wisdom that you're going to give us, Lord, to navigate these good fights. For those of us who are dealing with stressful situations and dealing with these sort of forks in the road, Father, I pray that you, they, they would be reminded that you are in the midst of us and that you haven't left us and that your spirit would lead and guide us. Pour out your spirit upon us. Overflow on us, Lord, so that we might represent you wherever we go. 
Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.